0: The QMC Board and Collar Series for EMS Professionals welcomes you to Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Gary Harvat, Chuck Humphrey, and Ed Morasco. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service with news and information, opinionated discussions, lively talk, Sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of emergency medical services. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by Quick Med Claims, a national leader in emergency medical service revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, hang on to the bench seat and tighten your lap belt as these old guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride without touching the brakes. You've had the disclaimer. And if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys.
1: G'day, everyone. My name is Gary Harvett from the QMC Client Success Team, and welcome to another episode of Excuse My Medic. We have got a jam-packed, fun-filled day with some great information to convey to you. Joining me today are my colleagues, Chuck Humphrey, who's up in Danville, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, or good morning, Chuck
2: good morning and good afternoon wherever you are it's good to be here from beautiful Danville. it's a great time of year to live in northeast pennsylvania let me tell you trees are beautiful leaves are starting to fall uh it's just a just an awesome time
1: great good for you good to have you and across the way from me here is my dear colleague ed marasco hey ed Hey, G
3: and uh, Chuck. Good to be here with you as always. Uh, it's gorgeous here—a nice, bright, sunny day in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania—and uh, can't wait to get started. Very excited about the topics today.
0: Great. Steelers
2: are undefeated, and uh, my Eagles are limping along. So, Pennsylvania, we're, we're right on top of the football
0: <laughs> world. There. <guys. laughs> oh man this is not good
4: you know i'm a ravens fan <laughs> oh geez we're sorry
1: <laughs> oh my well that that voice you heard just pop in there was our good friend steve worth and steve is our guest today and we are blown away delighted delighted underlined bold print to have him with us today um uh, chuck how about just giving us a once over on steve would you well, get started here
4: well, well, first i'm of ready all. for it <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, it's scary how long I've known
2: Steve, so that just goes to show all the gray of my hair. But, uh, uh, you know, I've known Steve for a long time, we with him together, and uh, I'm really happy to have him here. And for those of you who don't know Steve, uh, Steve's uh, one of the founding partners of Paige Wilfrig & Worth, uh, EMS Law, the premier fire and EMS law firm in the country. Uh, four decades of a public safety career. Um, started his paramedic career right over the hill for me, I guess you could say uh in uh, the first paramedic program there in williamsport pennsylvania Um, and uh, just brings that background uh, in in, uh, his um, speaking nationwide about ems law and related issues reimbursement risk management corporate compliance um he's uh, one of the contributing writers to gems uh, ems insider ems one and ems world and has co-authored half hour show chuck Half yes. hour show. popular <laughs> compliance manual um, is past chair of the panel of commissioners for CAIS, uh, the National Ambulance Accrediting Body, serves on the boards of the Pennsylvania EMS Provider Foundation, National EMS Memorial Service, active participant in the National EMS Memorial Bike Ride of the Muddy Angels. And he is, and I don't know how many of you know this, a space exploration enthusiast, I truly believe that someday we're going to see Steve in a helmet, in a rocket, heading to the moon to colonize, so
0: um, with that, Steve,
4: welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks, Chuck, and guys, it's great to be here. You guys got an awesome program here. Uh, uh, It's exciting and it's fun, and I'm really uh, happy to be with you. In fact, uh, as Chuck was talking about my paramedic days back in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, That was so long ago that when we took the class, we took disco lessons at the same time, all of us in class. So that gives you an idea on how long ago uh, that was. Uh, But it was after the days of using tin cans and string to communicate with medical command, so we did actually have radios. Yeah.
3: Steve, did they train Uh, you how to? to Did they train you how to feed the horses for the horse-drawn ambulances
4: back (laughs) in the (laughs) day? Yeah. Well, as I look at the screen here, gentlemen, with the four of us, we've probably got what about five uh, centuries of EMS experience combined.
1: Exactly. And my back has all five centuries. Trust me, it feels like it. Yeah. Amen. Um, I'm just glad to have Steve today. I got to tell you. I don't know if you folks have been to any of the ABC 360 conference uh, that his firm sponsors and the, the N N A what is it N A A C or yes NAC. NAC okay. But uh, the classes are great. Don't get me wrong. But let me tell you, the food is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have the best food out of all the conferences that we go to. Their food rocks and they feed you const- constantly. It's like they take the breakfast down, bring the lunch. They take the lunch out, they bring in the snacks. Gary,
4: Gary, Gary, you got to tone this down now. We're
1: virtual conference. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, can't we transmit the Hershey chocolate bars oh, to the airwaves. Oh, that's. Best- <laughs> best food around and the conference is great too don't yeah. get me wrong don't get me wrong <laughs>
4: well, we're back together next year hopefully soon yes sir yes. we,
1: sh- we surely hope so if we-
4: i have one of
2: those scentsy burners on my desk you could just send a chocolate scented scentsy bar maybe that's the there option. yeah there we go
1: <laughs> what's a scentsy bar what is that I've so never- i have
2: an ems scentsy burner that um, gives me uh, some olfactory uh support to my day
1: it's oh yeah you out. need that <laughs> 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 that could be the word of the day olfactory chuck olfactory. that's olfactory. actually was, very I'm good about that. Okay. Yep. <laughs> all right well we've asked steve to uh to join us today and again he's been very gracious to do so and one of the things that we, of course, talk about constantly here at QMC is good quality documentation. And Steve has been nice enough to volunteer to talk to us, similar to the old David Letterman show, the um, the late show uh, where we Dave did the top 10 list of different things. Steve has the top 10 documentation errors. So Steve, uh, it's all yours. We're anxious to hear.
4: Okay, great. Well. Uh... Great to do this, and uh, you guys do a super job of uh, working with your clients on these subjects, so uh, hats off to you on that. But okay, we're going to do top ten here. We're going to keep it kind of rapid fire, and uh, you guys chime in uh, at, at the end of each of these and add, add your uh, pithy comments, which I'm sure you will anyway. Not so. us,
1: Steve. No. Us, really? So, Never. So. Pithy comments?
4: <laughs> so, And uh, a disclaimer here, these are not in any particular order of importance, so we'll start with number one. Number one documentation error that we see as we look at thousands of patient care reports every year is poor spelling, bad grammar, and use of improper acronyms and abbreviations, the basic stuff, you know, uh, to the point uh, we even see situations where people, like, sometimes will actually use those funny EMS acronyms, like, upon arrival, found the patient CTD circling the drain. (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, Foo bar. Yeah. Oh, that's Bible, a. we found the patient oh. Foo bar. I say screwed up beyond all recognition. Yep. So seriously, we've actually seen a few of those where people don't take their documentation seriously. But yeah, bad grammar, poor spelling, big issue, especially when it comes to the. Uh, if you ever get sued, really, uh, if you're up on a witness stand in front of a judge or a jury, it's you in that patient care report representing your entire organization. Oh. So. Uh, you know uh, if, if you can't spell and you don't check your work uh, that's a big issue guys any thoughts on that you see a lot of reports
1: I, I couldn't say more and I've seen my share over the years that just make me cringe some of them um, you know Steve probably go on forever too long uh, some of them are too short and use those crazy acronyms and uh, I just kind of got shivers when you when I thought about somebody being on the stand ex- having an attorney ask them to explain explain the word foo bar. Um, oh, that yes. is probably, in my estimation, probably a loser right there. Um, yep. You're not going to go very far in that in that well, uh, court of not law. Not only
2: that, but we've spent what three decades now trying to convince people that we are on the level of other healthcare professionals. Yep. And. We're not ambulance drivers and then we go do ridiculous things like that. The other one that I, I I remember one time I had a young guy that made reference in a text message or an email, I forget, to window lickers. Meaning mm. that he was using he was doing the wheelchair van that day. Well, mm-hmm. I ran to the station, I met him at the door when he came in off that transport and he and I had a very interesting conversation about how that was someone's mother grandmother loved one and someday he may be a window licker and yeah. how would he feel and you yeah got exactly. an education that day I to uh, say. that's
1: that's that and that's, that's the stuff that does give us a black eye right. it really does yeah and people
3: don't realize sometimes if you're not using approved abbreviations um you know it may change the meaning of the report there could be some healthcare provider who's reading that from a continuity of care standpoint who misunderstands what you saw what you were doing it's incredibly important that um, you know that we are we we make the meaning correct when we're writing these trip records for Absolutely.
1: sure. Good uh, one, Steve. Yeah,
4: yeah, good one. Okay. Well, we also recommend too that people use the approved set of abbreviations that their health system uses or the EMS system approves. So, yeah, excellent point. Okay, number two is not painting a picture of the patient's true condition, and uh, that's really what a good PCR is all about, uh, conveying to the reader uh, the condition of the patient. and uh, We like to judge it based on what we call the visualization test. So if I've got a really critically injured patient or critically ill patient and I complete my report and I hand it over to Chuck Humphrey to read and he reads it and looks at it and says, gee, Steve, uh, you know, was this really medically necessary? Uh, Whoa! there's a problem there because I had a critically ill patient but he didn't see that by reading my report so visualization test is all about being able to the reader to be able to visualize in their mind as they read your report the very same patient that you had encountered in that uh, situation so you know they should be able to light up in their mind and literally see that patient that's the ultimate perfect five-star patient care report. It's hard to get to that, but certainly that's that's our goal. And at the end of the day, it's really it really comes down to the, the narrative, the clinical narrative that really helps paint that picture. And uh, the other thing is, if you got a good uh, picture painted in your narrative and in your report, it's going to act as your substituted memory because you're going to remember things about that call that you wouldn't have otherwise remembered. As you all know, and I'm sure you've seen a few of these guys, uh, we see these reports that say, upon arrival found 89 year old patient in bed, transferred from bed to stretcher, stretcher to ambulance, ambulance uh, to hospital, transport on end of report. And that's it, it doesn't tell us anything. It, uh, and and that's that's the, uh, you know, doesn't paint the picture of really what was wrong with the patient. And that's a big issue too with reimbursement and medical necessity and all those things. So that's it from, from that one, any thoughts you guys have?
3: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a tough one, and, and we, we, we talk to people when, when we do doc training all the time about trying to paint that picture and make sure that um, the person reading the chart, and, and look, no disrespect to our colleagues on the insurance side, but more often than not, I find, and I'm sure, Steve, you see this too, I think you know the people reading the charts and making that value judgment about the medical necessity and, and such on the insurance side, they're typically not, it's not a veteran emergency and trauma nurse. It's, it's some 98-year-old home care nurse who's in the basement of the insurance company, right now it's probably at home, and they're reading that chart. No disrespect, I'm married to a nurse, so I have to be careful here, but um, they're reading that chart, and if you don't paint that picture, they don't understand the world that we operate in, and, and so you have to really make sure that you place them there, like you said, uh, right there with you at the scene or at the bedside so they understand what you're doing, what you're seeing, and why you're making the decisions you're making with that patient. Um, incredibly important.
1: Very much so
4: absolutely yep. okay you want to go to three
1: that's good let's do it
4: all right third error that we see or problem is making subjective conclusions or stating your oh. opinion mm,
0: oh, huge. this is a big problem oh.
4: especially uh you know with i, I have to tell you I, i'm seeing more issues today with people's attitudes and everybody's stressed out covid19 uh civil unrest patients spit at us yell at us scream at us kick at us uh call us bad names and it's tough out there but we can't let that transfer into the patient care report Um, we had a report where one time it said uh, uh, it was a middle-of-the-night call at like 2 a.m. and it was an elderly lady who was mildly short of breath she called 911 and they get there and she's walking around without any shortness of breath so this medic who wakes up in the middle of the night to go on this call he writes you know Upon arrival, we found a you know eighty-year-old lady walking around the house with absolutely no complaints. She says she was short of breath, but isn't short of breath now. Uh, no, no indication of any problems here. This was a waste of my time. Oh, and right. That's what he wrote on the report. So, so there's a subjective conclusion if there ever was one. And uh, you know we've seen all sorts of things. We've seen uh, where there's a court case that we were dealt with. Uh, where they documented uh, the patient had a heat-related condition. They, they concluded what was wrong with the patient because it was a hot summer day. Well, it turned out they missed a letter in the description of heat-related. It was a heart-related condition, oh. and the person had a heart attack and died because they you know, jumped to the conclusion and made a subjective value judgment based on what they thought was wrong with the patient. So, yeah, that's a big killer right there. Nah, yeah. That's... Well
2: the same way with intoxication, you know, people right. jump to conclusions. I, I worked with a partner um that just had a thing about drugs, especially in the middle of the night. And he just would rail on them and then you document that, you know. And I, I I one time just said to him, I said, You can't do that. You know, you're biased, so noticeable and then you know, in the chart as well, just making, you know, all kind of assertions and You know, um, it's scary because, you know, again, what if it's not intoxication? What if it's, uh, you know, a diabetic emergency or, you know, these are things we teach young people about all the time coming into the service. And uh, and then we go do things
4: like that, veterans do things like that. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. And that's an example of an express bias. You know, when you put this kind of stuff on a report or make those outward statements. Because we all have inherent biases we all have that we're all uh we all conduct ourselves to an extent based on our past experiences and and, you know it's tough for ems folks as you know because they see people in their worst moments and they see the constant people who abuse drugs and alcohol and those sort of things and that sometimes taints taints your vision of of people and we can't let that come out uh, in the the reports
1: again another one of those things that really degrades our industry right
4: oh absolutely okay ready for number four number four yeah. all right number four uh, big error that we see is internal inconsistencies internal inconsistencies and that's when you've got one section of the report says one thing another section of the report says something totally opposite uh that's you know typical you know upon arrival we found the patient walking around alert and oriented times four yet on the you know vital sign section it says glasgow coma score 6 you know so it, there's it, that has to be reconciled and i will tell you from a legal standpoint uh, investigators auditors and uh, assistant us attorneys love to see those inconsistencies because then that casts doubt on as to the accuracy and the truthfulness of the documentation right and they'll say you know they'd love that on cross exam Well, you said here, Mr. Wirt, the patient was walking around, alert and oriented, but over here, you said they were unconscious, and that's what you're telling us now. So, what are we to believe? You know, which is it? You know, how reliable is that? You know, uh, so that's a a big issue. So, you really got to check your work, and that's, uh, you know, the big message we send to people, and I know you guys do that when you do your training. You know, you can't just, you know, one person be responsible for the report. It's a team effort. It's collaborative, you know, and... uh, if you're working with a partner, that partner should be reviewing the report too to catch this stuff. You know, we gotta, hell, so many people just don't read their report when they're finished with it. They, they punch it out and then it's done. And, and that's when this problem emerges. Don't you think that
2: some of it, Steve, it's, it's some of its defaults in the EPCR program, nothing about the EPCR vendors, it's how you use it and apply it. And I think the other thing is, you know, we're, now we're, you know, tablets in the field. And you're dry, You know your partner's driving. You're trying to pound out a chart, and they're not reading it because they're uploading, and it. it's not a piece of paper in front of you. And I'm definitely showing my age, but you know it was a whole lot easier to not make those kind of mistakes on the old dot form that we filled out. Nobody could read our writing, but nonetheless, um, we didn't make those kind of glaring errors because there weren't defaults. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be careful about our defaults, how we're setting up the programs, and again, like you said. Go back and look at it before you hit the send and lock button on the EPCR program because you know, typos, like you said, heart and heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see yep. how that can happen. I miss characters all the time. I've, i got fat fingers on my phone, you know, like my kids will say, Dad, what are you saying? And then, and then I'll look at it was i like, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> That's not <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> and I, I know some, uh, some of the younger guys that I run with, they're experimenting and using talk-to-text and then they're uploading that into the EPCR program. Great idea, but you know, talk to Texas, sometimes it fil- doesn't filter out the noise and then you get all kind of iterations of words that, um, um, you know, um, our recent presidential election, uh, we've had some new words come up uh, that uh, <laughs> certain candidate happened to say. So, you know, like it can happen, and it can happen easy, so you need to be careful.
3: Yeah, Stephen, I love the point you made about uh, everybody being on board with the patient care report. I mean, uh, you know, when, when you talk to people and they say, well, we, you know, we do, we each do a section, and, uh, you know, you ask people, well, d- did you read your partner's section? Well, no. Okay. Well, yeah. well, did you sign it? Yes. Your name's on the chart. You darn well better know what's in it because when it's three years from now, like it normally is, and you get called into court to testify, the answer can't be, well, I don't know what he was writing. I didn't look at it. Yep. You know, you're responsible for it. Your name's on it. So for crying out loud, read the chart. You're going to find errors. Everybody makes them and correct them when you can and make sure that they are consistencies and you know, all
1: that stuff.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ready for number five?
1: Number Half five. Halfway there.
4: Number five error. Improper addendums or corrections. Oh Just yeah. Proper addendums. Oh, so, yeah. This is interesting because, uh, What a lot of people fail to remember is that we have a professional obligation to ensure that the medical record is accurate and it doesn't matter when you detect an error in it you gotta fix it. Um, And field providers sometimes have a problem with this because they believe because once they close out the report that it can never be touched. It's illegal to change the chart. You can't tell me what to write. Okay, all right, I get all that. We're not telling you what to write. But when you said the patient was found in bed, transferred from bed to stretcher, I wanna know how that occurred. How was the patient moved? Did the patient jump out of bed and hop onto the stretcher? That's transfer. Did you beam them over with a (laughs) transporter device? (laughs) Uh, You know, Really, I mean, tell us what you did. Did did the patient assist in any way? Did you have to lift them? And that's all we're asking is to make sure that the picture is painted some people you know in the field get a little offended by that but it's an obligation that all field providers have and if you make a mistake if you're running six or seven trips and you forgot to put uh, patient number four was on oxygen and and of course you you had three calls in the last two hours and and you're now catching up on your reports you know two hours later you can forget stuff and uh, we have an obligation to make sure it's accurate because you know what we do in the field does affect care of the patient down the road in the hospital setting too so the other medical professionals need to see what's going on we also from the standpoint of the billing side and, and i know you guys are just absolutely impeccable about compliance and making sure that uh, your, your clients are doing a good job according to the, the law and the rules and all that but you also gotta be careful we don't give people the impression they need to put things down on that report just to get a claim paid so uh, and sometimes uh, folks get frustrated. Hey, we all get frustrated with each other sometimes, especially in these days, Um, you know, and uh, sometimes we'll say, wow, we can't, how am I supposed to build this based on what you just wrote? And when you say that, that sort of implies to the person that, hey, you bet, I better write something down that's going to support getting this paid or I'm in trouble. You got to be real careful about that from the other side of the coin. So...
3: Yeah, right. Don't don't embellish, right? To just, again, mm-hmm. paint that picture of what you yeah. saw, what was in front of you. And uh, and we've had people ask that question in training. Gary and I were doing one a couple of years ago, and, and someone said, look, we don't want to sit through all this stuff with you guys. Just tell us what we need to write. And you have to stop and take a deep breath and say, that's not what this is about. This is about you needing to write a complete patient care report, filling in all the details, what you saw, what you heard, what you smelled, what you thought, what you were doing with the patient. Um, because it's not a there's no shortcut you know it's and oftentimes as you point out steve uh, i was thinking about that six call in a row thing you know i used to write all over my a piece of tape on my pants right and then you you look down at the tape and you got six pieces of tape and you go right which one was that one (laughs) so it's easy to get confused so you have to correct them when you get confused
4: absolutely okay number six is failure to adequately address medical necessity and that goes sort of dovetails into the last one we just talked about we got to make sure that everybody in the field understands that yeah it, this is a clinical doc, clinical report we're all about clinical documentation but our clinical documentation is what others look at to decide whether it's medically necessary or not according to the payer's rules medicare has their definitions of medical necessity insurance, Medicaid, they all got different definitions and field providers you know aren't expected to know those definitions but you gotta document enough information so that the folks in the billing office can make a, a determination, proper determination uh, as to whether it's medically necessary and, and we're able to submit that claim to the insurer for payment and uh, it's so important especially today when you know we're struggling to Keep our budgets in line, and uh, we've seen a drop in uh, non-emergency transports due to COVID and other issues. Uh, we can't leave money on the table that we're legally entitled to, and uh, it's a team effort, and and everybody needs to understand why this is important because everybody's paycheck depends on it, and it's good clinical care to document, you know, completely and honestly every aspect of the clinical condition of the patient so that determination can be made. Now, bottom line, at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to transport patients who don't meet the medical necessity requirements, okay? It's going to happen because you're a public service, you're out there 24-7, who else are they going to call? But the reality is that may decide whether the patient gets the bill or insurance gets the bill or it gets written off or whatever. But that's not the field provider's uh, job to decide on.
2: No, I, I think uh, you mentioned field providers. I don't think a lot of field providers understand what medical necessity is, and that's why we do so much documentation training. You know, like, um, it takes us time to do that, but i got to say, and Gary, I know you'll agree, that um, for every minute we spend in documentation training, it pays dividends on the backside. You know, oh, yeah. Because that way our people aren't wrestling with having to – you know, it's very frustrating to a biller. Who wants to get a claim out and understands that the, we want to take the shortest timeline between data service to getting money back because that's what supports our mission. But yet here we have X number of claims that we have to send back because there's not that level of specificity um, in order to prove medical necessity, and that's frustrating for us. So um, uh, educating, you know, those of you that are administrators out there, you're listening. Um, spend a little time, you know, pull down our. Podcasts, We have 130-some out of them out there, and I'm doing a little wow. uh, shameless um, advertisement here, but we have a lot of podcasts that speak directly to some of these issues in, you know, just the parts of it. Use that for your training. You know, ask them to listen to that. Uh, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour spent here and there could make together the difference in cash flow. You know, dollars here, dollars mm-hmm. there adds up. So, um, but I, I do find that, after we do some of these sessions we'll get some feedback and like i never realized that yeah. i didn't know right. you needed that or so it's a good education process to co- constantly stay in front of your street people who don't think like those of us do back in the office and keep that in front of them and keep them you know it's ceu stuff it's it's going back and doing that retraining mm-hmm.
1: yeah i agree Absolutely. what well, we Sad. did uh, two programs actually yesterday for two of our client organizations and you know you get through halfway through the second one and let's not kid each other you know documentation training isn't going to win any uh any oscars or emmys or whatever <laughs> i mean but it's good information it's important but you get halfway through but yesterday when we finished i was kind of like okay you know we got through that but there, there is so much there are so many important aspects of doing it and as you said chuck and steve uh the benefits far outweigh um everything and hopefully you know, at the end of the day, it it helps that service, it helps us, most assuredly helps us, but, you know, if we're helping, uh, if it helps us, then we're surely helping um, our clients, because it all does. We've said this a thousand times, right, Chuck and Ed, it all starts with them.
4: Yep, Yep. Like, we
1: cannot do our job without them doing theirs first.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well said, gentlemen. Okay, number seven, failure to document the reason for the transport, and failure to document the reason for the interventions you provide to the patient. So that's kind of a two-pronged uh, uh, point. Number one, we're, we're kind of weak in documenting why we're taking the patient to a particular facility, and that's real important because, as we know, a lot of insurers, particularly Medicare, is only going to pay to the closest appropriate facility. Okay, so if you got to explain why you're going, taking the patient from point A to point B. And it's particularly an issue with non-emergent transports where you got interfacility transfers and things. The basic question is, when you get there as a crew member, as a paramedic or EMT, you want to ask yourself if you're pulling into that facility, get on that floor. You want to say, why are we taking the patient here to there? You know, uh, well, we have patient needs cardiac surgery that's not available at this facility. Okay, great. Then document that, and specifically, what kind of surgery is it that they can't do? at the hospital because after all they are in a hospital and Medicare doesn't want to pay to move people unnecessarily so that's documenting the the reason for the transport and then the other thing we're seeing and this has been a very recent development Medicare and other insurers are starting to question the medical necessity of the interventions so as, as most people know we have pretty much two levels of service ALS and BLS okay we get paid more money for ALS than we do BLS well to get to ALS in some situations that's performing an ALS intervention you know starting an IV or doing a 12 lead EKG or you know one of those things okay well Medicare and others are starting to say okay why did you start that IV what's the clinical indication in your report that says why you needed that IV years ago after the Medicare fee schedule came into existence uh, about 18 years ago I remember one ambulance company owner say to me, oh, yeah, we know how to handle this. Our medical director just wrote a protocol that said every patient gets an IV. Oh, boy. Every patient gets an (laughs) IV. I don't want to be in that town. because I don't want paramedics sticking me with needles (laughs) all the time. But that's the kind of thing that Medicare is concerned about, uh, doing unnecessary procedures and things. And yes, in the last five years, we've seen a significant number of audits where the auditors will downcode a claim from ALS to BLS stating, well, there was no, no clinical justification for the IV or the medication or whatever it might be. So, yeah. So those two things, failure to document why you're moving the patient to point B, point A, and why you're doing the intervention. You know, that's the key, you know, and a lot of times we fail to document that.
3: Yeah. and And I get it. Look, people, um, you know, we're not easily impressed. If you're a long time EMS provider, you know, the empty the drug box calls are one, but some of these lower acuity calls that are still pretty sick. So we tend to not be uh, impressed by what we see. And sometimes we don't relay that. I tell the story all the time, my poor kids growing up, you know they'd be out in the yard playing and they'd come in crying mom I fell off the swing set you know and her response Joyce's response was always look I know death and dying and that ain't it there's no uh, arterial blood spurting there's no bone end showing <laughs> spit on it get back out there and play when you come in for lunch we'll clean it up because we're so underwhelmed when we you know by what we see sometimes but you gotta you have to again think the reader and help them understand what your thought process is. Yes, this person wasn't we weren't emptying the, the drug box, but boy, we were a little bit concerned, they had that look, they were a little bit pale, a little bit tachycardic, whatever those things were that triggered us in there. Think we better get some IV access or whatever the intervention is, right? Help the reader understand what you were thinking when you made that decision. Good point. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Okay. Number eight, failure to obtain no, oh, this is a favorite one. Failure to obtain necessary signatures
1: oh Oh, my gosh all i can say
3: is you're killing me smalls you're killing me ding ding that's the bell winner
0: right there yeah this
4: is a in
1: no particular order that should be number one steve (laughs) number one yeah i know
4: probably should be so uh yeah that's a that's an area that uh, we see a lot of weakness um you know we got to try to get the patient's signature uh it's important for assignment of benefits to the ambulance service so that Sometimes the check doesn't go to the patient uh, directly. We want it to go to the ambulance service itself, and uh, Medicare requires it. Most insurance companies require uh, uh, an assignment of benefit signature. So you want to get the patient to sign. Unless the patient is physically or mentally incapable of signing, then certain representatives can sign. And then if they're not available, there's certain steps that could be followed to submit the claim without a signature. But that should be the exception rather than the rule. Right. So you got patient signatures. And you've got crew member signatures as well. And we've got to be able to identify who's on the crew. Now, it can be an electronic signature. Uh, and you know, you've got a digital signature that can be done with a stylus. That's one form of electronic signature. Then there's the electronic signature that's typed, that basically, uh, uh, basically indicates that that's the person who did the report. Because there's a password-protected way of that person to get into that report. So we can say that that is that person's uh, electronic signature. Uh, but those are two big areas. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, it, it's, it's so easy not to get a signature. Uh, and far too often we see excuses for not getting a patient signature. But we've worked with a lot of ambulance services, as I know you guys have, where when they put the focus on this from the top down and they reward people who do a good job, uh, you can get the signature. Because we yeah. all know that, you know, nine times out of ten, the patients aren't, you know, in cardiac arrest, they're critically ill or injured right. to the point that they can't understand what you're, uh, what they're signing, and, and ask them to sign. Most of the time, that can be done in the back of the ambulance on the way to the hospital.
3: Yep, so, you bet.
4: Steve, I know uh, I, I did
2: uh, some sessions on your ABC 360, which, by the way, was fabulous this year. Oh, thank Steve you. virtual, I thought you guys did. The studio was that was fantastic good job yeah,
1: not the food advice. wasn't that great
3: no the food was bad <laughs> yeah. i kept waiting for my hershey bar to show up in the mail
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, i know you talked about the COVID. you know we've been talking with our clients this isn't a signature holiday you want to you know, just give us a quick uh, rundown of of what you're seeing across the country with that because you yes. know all,
4: the, all of a sudden everybody yeah. on the
2: street was like yippee we don't have to do signature anymore because we got COVID." and it's not yeah that's
4: that's right and, and you guys know that uh, you know medicare has relaxed some of the rules during the national health emergency and one of the rules they've relaxed a bit is that okay there's a valid concern about patients who may have covid you know contamination of pieces of things pens and things they may touch and all that so if the patient does have signs and symptoms of covid CM, cms on the medicare side has said that uh, they can give you verbal consent uh, you know, to, to sign, if you will, and then basically uh, uh, you're, you're basically signing the thing and saying with express consent of the patient or something to that effect. So, uh, and, and there's some specific procedures on that, but it does allow for uh, not having the actual patient signatures with COVID patients, but that's not an excuse for every single patient Right. Yeah. say, yep, exactly. COVID, you know, oh. uh, patient unable so- to sign due to COVID okay what do you mean okay because they were afraid of covid and they didn't want to sign your pen they didn't want to touch anything uh, you know they have to have you know signs and symptoms and be you know a suspected uh covid patient for that little uh, exception to uh, apply and by the way that's going to be a temporary thing that's only during the national health emergency which has you know, been extended to be probably will be extended into next year
3: unfortunately <clears throat>
2: and the other thing about signatures too is uh, we didn't mention but you know on the physician certification statement the non-physician certification statement make sure you have the right person and then that goes into the healthcare professional you know the docs that do the squiggles and so there's a lot of things to consider about signature you just have to be diligent with it none of us like it I mean I you know 34 years in the field I still don't like getting the signature it's a pain in the butt but it's a necessary evil it's part of the tools of the trade it's it's no less important than restocking the truck and being ready for the next run. It's just right. it's stuff we got to do. With with the job comes the paperwork. Whether you're in the yep. whether you're in the bathroom or whether you're out in the field, it's
4: the job comes the paperwork. You know, it is what it is. Right, right. And we've seen the extreme side of laziness. We've actually had uh, several cases where crew members have forged the patient's signature uh-huh. because oh. they didn't want to bother to ask oh, the patient. Oh. They didn't want to be bothered, so they literally signed patient's name because they just didn't want to deal with the patient and eh, that's the height of laziness to the uh. point of uh, forgery and <laughs> that's not a good thing because now you're dealing with self-reporting uh, you know, to the government and refunding monies and all that so you got to be honest and be diligent I think as Chuck's pointing out here being diligent about uh, getting those signatures. Okay. All right, ready for nine. We're down the last two. Number Here nine. we go. Number nine, failure to record patient-loaded miles.
1: Oh, okay. huge. Uh,
4: yeah, that's a, a big issue. And uh, Medicare has been a stickler on that for a number of years. And and uh, you got to document accurately the mileage from the point of pickup of the patient to the destination point. Uh, now, certainly, you have other miles that come into play, like the mileage getting to the scene or to the home and all that. But uh, most insurance, particularly Medicare, is only going to pay for that, you know, when the patient's on board the ambulance and typically to the tenth of a mile. So you want to document mileage to the tenths because, you know, every little tenth counts. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's – Yeah, They
3: yeah, prorate true.
4: that, so uh, uh, very important. And you got to have a good system to do that, uh, whether it's your odometer, trip meter. Uh, and in some cases, uh, Medicare contractors allow some of the uh, – Mapping uh, soft programs like MapQuest and Google Maps and some of those things, but but you better document how you got that mileage uh, and keep a record of it uh, in your file because it's an easy thing for auditors to ding you on is is mileage and they can sit there at a desk and use Google Maps and say and you build a trip for 37 miles and they Google map the thing and it's only 17 miles right hmm why are you billing 37 maybe you're inflating the mileage to get more money that's what they're thinking right so uh yeah that's that's a big issue oh. any comments on that you guys see that all, uh, all your yeah. issues with mileage yeah, yeah it's, it's i
2: never oh go ahead man. no go ahead chuck i never understand why that stresses people oh, i gotta write the mileage down yeah second.
3: Exactly. right
2: uh, we're lucky we're able to use push the top phones now we just called into our non-emergency dispatch and they record it for us so that's the lazy man's way. Thanks to our dispatchers, who are great. But, you know, the old days, use a piece of paper, tablet in your pocket, Gary. We talk about that all the time. All the time, yeah. Write down the numbers. Like, what's, what's the big deal? And sometimes you forget. I get that, but, you know, why complain about that? There's bigger things to complain about than writing mileage.
3: Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that's part of how we get paid, right? We get the bill of base rate and a loaded mile rate. Those are the two core... Uh, pieces of reimbursement and so I think sometimes people don't understand that and then of course you know what Steve talked about which is people trying to inflate the miles right you do you do have that latitude if you have to go around you know if there's a train coming through town and you had to go around it or there was a road closed or flooded or whatever it's not like you can't get a legitimate I mean, the actual miles or what you're able to build but you know gosh don't don't uh, try and game the system you know you record the actual miles you had the patient on board and And uh, you know everybody is good with that.
4: Yeah, and document those variations. You sort of alluded to that, Ed. You know, if you have to go around construction, or you have, you know, uh, a detour, or whatever reason, you know, make sure you explain if there's been unusual circumstances as to why you had to drive, uh, you know, further uh, distance than, than normally would show up if somebody checked it at the desk, you know, kind of thing. So. Okay. We are up to number 10. Are you guys ready? Bring it on. We're ready. All right. 10 is, you know, to me, a very fundamental one. And we sort of talked about it a little earlier. And it's second guessing and making improper assumptions about the patient. Second guessing. And that goes back to attitudes and uh, being judgmental. And uh, Randy Mantooth, who you guys all know, since we're all EMS dinosaurs here on this (laughs) podcast, uh, uh, Randy Mantooth is?
0: johnny gage
4: johnny gage show emergency that probably got all four of us involved in ems uh, back in those days well randy gives a great talk and he says you know it's not our job to judge people and and when we start judging patients that gets in the way of being empathetic and, and uh, caring for them and uh you know when you judge people that's when you make big mistakes and uh he ran into this when he was was actually on calls uh, to get a a feel for what paramedics really did. And he ran into a situation. He tells the story in one of his keynotes how that happened and uh, how, uh, you know, the outcome wasn't so good. And, you know, we got to remember, you know, it all comes down to this, in my opinion. Everybody is a human being and it doesn't matter whether they cause their part their problem, whether they their medical condition by taking too many drugs or alcohol or somebody did something to them or it was just a medical something that happened okay it doesn't matter how they got to the condition they're in we have an obligation to treat people equally whether they're the uh, you know person intoxicated on the on the in the parking lot outside the mini-mart in a pool of vomit at 3 in the morning or it's the middle-aged uh, guy having a heart attack in his mega mansion on the hill uh, they're both human beings, and they, we have an obligation to treat everybody with respect and dignity and not make assumptions about them in any way, form, or fashion. We yep. look at uh, everything objectively, and that's goes back to, you know, the patient was drunk, you know, another drunk, wow. you know, all that stuff. It, we got to get it out of our head.
1: And I think we have to remember this now more than ever. These are tough times yes. around the globe. Right. And uh, we have to step back and not get caught up and remember to treat each other as human beings. We all have pluses and we all surely have minuses. But at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're all, you know, just genuinely good people. Right.
4: Yeah. It's like uh, I like Lester Holt's closing uh, statement every night on the NBC uh, Nightly News. uh, take care of yourself and one another. Yeah, you know? that's right. right. Uh, that's what it's all about, especially yeah. in today's world. Yeah, very So, true. so that's the top ten, gentlemen. Hey,
1: well uh, done. Top 10, very uh, good, top 10 Steve.
4: PCR mistakes and how we can avoid uh, some of those issues. So hopefully, uh, your listeners will, will get something—a uh, good takeaway out of that. But I got to tell you, I'm very, very nervous and concerned right now because. Some word game we're gonna play, and <laughs> up, right? oh and I'm yeah, very very nervous oh, about yes. that. Oh I, I think I'm gonna get stumped, or yeah. I'm gonna screw something up. Because now you're gonna ask me a question. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, you
1: got <laughs> it. Cool. Is that how it works? So yes, this is our oh, EMS word of the day, and um, <laughs> I see by my production schedule here that. Uh, Ed is going to give his word to Steve. Now, for those of you listening at home who have not heard previous episodes, (laughs) uh, Ed will give uh, the word to Steve, uh, and then Steve will have to use the word uh, in an EMS context, in Sometimes it doesn't work out. Well, most of the time it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work out. Now,
4: I can, I can
1: Google the word Oh no. right to get the nope. definition. Nope.
3: No, no. <laughs> nope. I texted Joe and said, please turn yeah. off the internet at the house. Hands
1: up. Both hands up. Yep. Anyway. All right, Ed. Let's see what we can oh, do to Lord. Steve here.
3: All right, Lord. Steve. Here we go. I'm, I'm thinking about you. I didn't want to make it too bad, so I picked a reasonable word here. It's Trichotillomania. <laughs> Trichotillomania, T-R-I-C-H-O-T-I-L-L-O-M-A-N-I-A. Oh, my
4: goodness. Well, He's supposed to be a guest, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> what diction- what dictionary like, did you get that out of? That's what we call you know, like, a 50-cent you know, like, word. Like
2: Mary Craig and tell her
1: we need new compliance words. Oh, my <laughs> God. Just bought, you just blew up ours. Holy mackerel. Trichotillomania. Oh, my, <laughs> oh
0: yeah. my goodness. Oh, my
4: Lord. Let me think about this a second.
1: I'm going to go have a sandwich. I'll be back. This is going to take a while.
3: This is a 30-minute right, show.
1: Uh,
4: upon arrival, we found a patient staring at his cell phone in a blank stare, suffering from trichotelemania due to the screen uh, view and uh, the effect on his
3: brain. How about that? This is incredible. This is the first, <laughs> Steve. I think I think you got it. I think. Oh
0: come it, on, Ed. There's yeah, no way.
3: It, no, seriously. I here that. What's the definition? It is an abnormal desire to pull one's hair out. Oh. <laughs> with three, you know, with two bald guys on the call is real easy. But son of a gun, that sentence fits.
1: Oh right? my goodness.
3: Yeah. All you have to do is he was. He was looking at the election results on his cell phone, and it caused him to want to pull his hair out. That is it. All right. (laughs) Holy mackerel.
1: Round of applause for Steve. Oh, my gosh. Yes.
3: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) consigliere. I'm impressed. I love it. I can't believe
1: I actually uh, got that. Put a mark on the (laughs) wall, Chuck. Holy (laughs) mackerel. Put a mark on the wall. I know. That's the yeah, first.
4: What's the prize?
1: What do I get? Hershey uh, bar? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Just watch the mail, Steve. Just watch the mail. It'll be there. Yeah, anyway. All right, my turn to give one to Chuck. Oh, geez. All right. This is a tough act to find. This one is only... Uh, looks like eight letters long, Chuck, so it won't take me oh, long I'm gonna, to, to I'm pronunciate gonna, I'm it. to write it down. All right, are you ready? The word yes. is... Eldritch. That's E L D is in dog. R I T is in Tom. C H. Eldritch.
2: Eldritch.
0: Hmm. Um, hmm. The see patient
2: we to... who had not been uh, had not eaten her meal yet um, <coughs> had a visual Eldritch coming from her salivary gland.
0: Ooh, that doesn't sound good at all. Oh, man.
3: there goes wow. lunch. That's
1: gonna hurt. And, and sounds like you need a four by four over that. Oh my goodness.
4: <laughs> oh, I just looked it up. Yep.
1: So in the spirit,
4: that's a very appropriate one.
1: Yep. In the spirit of the uh, Hallmark holiday we holiday we just had on what Saturday? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yep. So. Um, it means eerie, weird or spooky. Oh, yeah. So, you've got something oozing out of somebody's neck. Chuck uh no. No. no that's no. not good. <laughs> nice nice try. Yeah, but yeah. hey, it's that's one a, of my better attempts. Nice try though, and I yeah. I still can't believe Steve. Did, did you let him know Ed, just because he's our guest? I swear to
3: god. <laughs> and, and actually, like, it was a toss up because the other word I had was whistle sucked.
1: <laughs> yeah. so i picked that one it was yeah.
3: last minute call
1: oh my Glad goodness you avoided German. Yeah, yeah. You go. all right well we've got uh, just a little different thing here chuck told me this story yesterday and it does have a bit of an ems flavor to it and i thought it was worth telling again so chuck if uh, you'd be kind because actually you yeah. were involved with this to some degree and i think back to what steve was saying about how we treat each other uh, this really, this little story reaffirms that. And uh, our own Chuck Humphrey had involvement. So I thought it was a story that we should share. Chuck?
2: Well, yeah, I was telling G, uh So Election Day in all- my town. So I live in Berwick, Pennsylvania, which is a very ethnic community. So where I live, on, the street behind me is Little Italy. The street in front of me is Little Slovakia. And the story is, is that many of um, the uh, folks coming over from Europe landed on ellis island in pennsylvania northeast pennsylvania is not too far away from right. that direct route over and they landed here because in the center of our town we made rail cars and then during world war ii they converted to made tanks uh, in fact we just got a replica of one of the the thousand or so tanks that was made in our community yeah. it's now on display at a museum uh, very interesting hmm. used in the african uh in the african theater but um so we have a lot of folks um so that the italian club up the street from me a block and a half is called the maria Assanta. it's uh, about 110 years old you have to be a pure italian male to be a full member but then there are the rest of us in town that love the food and we're associate members so every election day their fundraiser is to make the best spaghetti other than joyce's probably had yep. the best spaghetti in the world so while uh, gary and i had an evening session that gave me a window to drive home for the 26 miles because i am physically in the office here in danville drive home just for spaghetti for lunch the other day so as i get out of my car and i'm walking into the building there i notice an elderly gentleman on the street in his uh, motorized scooters jazzy chair and <laughs> he's doing circles and i look and at first i didn't pay much attention because there are a good amount of elderly people in my community and then i watched him and, and he just he was confused so i stopped and i said sir can i help you you know, and, he's, and uh, I noticed he—he uh, he was a bilateral, or uh, I'm sorry, um, unilateral knee uh, below the knee amputation. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't dressed very warm, and it was a chilly day. And I said to him, um, yeah, "Can I help you?" And he said, "Well, I want to go back to," and he mentioned the street name, and he was headed in the opposite direction. And it turns out he had cataracts, and he couldn't see. And I noticed he had a visual impairment. So I said, well, you need to turn around and go the other way. Well, where is that, he said. I said, well, follow my voice. So we got him turned around. And as I proceed to go on my about my way to walk in the building, he could not find his way. It was totally befuddled. So I thought, all right, now I need to really dig in. Here. So I said, you know, like, where are you trying to go? I'm trying to go home. Well, what's your address? Literally a mile away. And then I hear his jazzy chair beeping. He's running out of jail. Oh. So I said to him, I said, you know, like by that time I had his name and I said to him, well, I said, um, how are you going to get home? It sounds like, yeah, you know, I thought I charged my scooter up, but I think the cold is that, that I was over at the bank. My wife's working. Um, she's a home health uh, aide. And, um, he said, I don't know how I'm going to get home. So, you know what? I'm a big believer guys that God puts you in places exactly where you need to be. Right. So I picked up my phone, I called the on-call duty crew out at the uh, Geisinger EMS's uh, Berwick station there. And I talked to uh, a fine young medic that we have that I've literally watched grow up. His dad still runs together with me. Uh, and uh, his son took up in his footsteps. And I said, hey Michael, I said, can, can, you, can you come over and bring the wheelchair van, uh, somebody from the wheelchair staff and uh, let's, let's make sure this guy gets home. Five minutes he was there. We uh, rolled his scooter up into the wheelchair van and we got him home. And I gotta tell you guys, that's why I joined EMS 34 years ago, was yeah. to make a difference in the community. And Amen. it wasn't, you know what? We talked about valuing people. And I know right now our nation is so divided. Um, our minister just did a great series called On Common Ground, where yeah. we talked about treating each other with respect and, and you know, race relations and all those things that are so nasty in our community today. Uh, I left there with a feeling of purpose. If I did nothing more that day, I felt God put me in a place to make a difference with this guy. And I hate to even think what would have happened to him. And, you know, there were about four or five other people that just walked by. And that's nothing with me because I'm used to being a public servant. Right. So it just made. But I thought afterwards, I thought, you know what? Um, Had I not been part of VMS, I maybe wouldn't have known what to do. You know, but we had the right resources in the right place. We did the right thing. Community EMS at its best. And um, I tell you, it it just made my week. And uh, I made a new friend. I know where this guy lives now and uh, very cool. So uh, great story. I, I was really pleased with the response from our station. Uh, Great bunch of young people there that worked during the day. And uh, they didn't even hesitate. Boom, right there. The minute they did it, they got tapped out for another emergency. And they're on their way to save another life. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Not that I did, but being in the right place right time, having great resources in our community to make it happen.
4: Well, and it's simple acts of kindness can change the world. Absolutely that's what right. They did, you know, right. and Amen. it doesn't cost us any money to be kind to each other.
0: No, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> nope, it really exactly doesn't. Right. That is a great story. yeah Thanks, Thanks for, for sharing, sharing that, that, Chuck. That's so, what he, uh, Chuck told me that yesterday, and I said, "There's our good news segment right yep, there." That's, that's a keeper. That's but, a keeper.
3: Now I'm curious. Did you get your spaghetti?
1: Did you get your spaghetti, Chuck? I'm, I'm
2: sorry. I, 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 just, I have a little bit of in, unstable internet connection, uh, so you guys froze up there for a minute.
3: Oh, we just wanted to know, did you get your spaghetti?
2: I did. And <laughs> anyway, it was fabulous. <laughs> and, and the portion yeah. is way more than I wanted to put on calories for the day, but... Um, I had to walk four miles later in the day, in the evening, on the treadmill to
4: walk off the spaghetti, but it was worth every calorie. <laughs>
2: oh
3: my God, <laughs> that's yeah, good so. stuff.
4: Well, Berwick's a neat town. Do they still do the boulevard there at a holiday season? We do. Awesome. Yeah, it's great, been revived. Great yes, Christmas it's... lights down the yeah. boulevard. Really oh yeah. Cool, cool. Good stuff. Yeah,
2: we stuff. have a street in the middle of town that has. Um, it was built like a boulevard, so it has grass plots. Mm-hmm. So every uh, right after Thanksgiving. A group, a nonprofit group, gets together and they set up this wonderful light display. And then you can drive down the street and take in the light display. Santa hands out Wise Potato Chips, which is based in our community. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The best part about the boulevard is when it snows, you get a group of people together and you walk it. It's cold Mm -hmm. as the blazes, but it's fun to do.
3: Yeah, good stuff. Well, we
4: already have our holiday trees up because we want to bring the holiday season early given the. 2020 being such a crap show so. yeah nothing Amen. wrong with
1: that i'm, I'm all for right. it so yeah we're right. getting ready for thanksgiving at the harvat house uh we're not having many people but as ed knows my wife makes me clean <laughs> everywhere and just this weekend i was running the vacuum under our bed now i'm not sure how many of my relatives that are coming over they are few in number are going to actually go upstairs and and look under the bed to see if I vacuum. But let me tell you, <laughs> it's, it's clean. sparkling. Yes, it hey, is.
4: Can, can that be my prize for getting the word right? Gary comes and cleans our house? <laughs> yeah, there you go. See? I like that.
1: I don't do windows. I'll just tell you that. Well, anyway. Anyway. Oh, so I got one more. I got news from the offbeat, and then we're going to adjourn for the day. Thank you guys all so much. But, you know, you come across these crazy stories, and, and like that. This morning I was reading this one in preparation for today's present show, and I thought, "Oh, uh, this this is one here, and this is you know this is one of those shake your heads like, how did this happen?" But of course, for all of us who've been in EMS all the years, you know, we always thought have thought to ourselves, "I've seen everything," and then the next day, you realize you haven't. But nope. this is a good one here. So um, this happened up in Idaho, believe it or not. And the ambulance crew there uh, was dispatched to a 40-year-old male who was being electrocuted. Of course, we don't get many of those, so I'm sure the anxiety levels were a little high as they respond. And as they arrived, they went in the house. Uh, they could hear the wife screaming. They went upstairs, and they found her, get this, striking the convulsing patient with a 2x4. <laughs> Trying to remove the extension cord front that laid across his body. Um, the crew walked in and noticed that the extension cord wasn't plugged in at all. <laughs> <laughs> that, in fact, the poor gentleman had a history of epilepsy. She thought he was being electrocuted oh, and decided goodness. the best way to handle this was to whack him with a two-by-four. Oh, no. Um So just so you, I'll do a quick rundown here. I don't want to take the rest of the day doing this. But uh, as a result, uh, fractured right radius and ulna, a flail segment, a rigid left upper quadrant, (laughs) countless detusions on every side of his torso and extremity, um, three surgeries, and his wife was not charged with anything, and they're still happily married. Well,
3: this, I oh give up. God. That's a real call. Yeah. That's a
1: real call. Oh, yeah, a real call. I want to see that narrative. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so,
2: Reason so for transport. Person, it wasn't a domestic disturbance. <laughs> no, not at all. Domestic <laughs> abuse <laughs>
1: situation. Uh, the, the poor gentleman who, probably who missed. Do we, who do we build that to? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Love it. the extension
1: wasn't in. Yep, the wasn't probably missed his meds and just had a seizure and was in bed, not hurting anybody, but she for whatever reason felt we're going to get that cord off him and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how many people have a 2x4 in their bedroom? I I don't, I don't know. Like did you have to run down to the workshop and get it or what? Like I don't I don't know. Anyway, Blale segment oh my goodness <laughs> Jeez. Jeez, the poor guy three <laughs> surgeries well listen um my thanks to steve worth for for yes. taking part in today's thanks. uh program steve we love you we think you're great you've been such a great help to each of us and our organizations you and your, all your your partners so um thank you for taking time out of we know your very busy day to do this for us and uh I, trust me when I tell you, I'll be glad to uh, buy you that chocolate bar or whatever you want next time we see you in our Here,
4: here.
1: My house. Yep. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's hope we can all get together soon.
4: Absolutely. And this is great. This is great fun. This was uh, absolutely the most fun I've ever had doing a uh, podcast. Uh, and I just want to thank you guys and thank that Claims. Uh, you all do excellent work, everybody there. And we've been working with you for over 20 years now. And. Uh, are just top-notch and you're always looking out for the interests of your clients helping to keep them out of trouble and bring home the revenue that they uh, deserve so uh, thank you all for all the great work you're doing every day uh behind the scenes supporting those uh caregivers out on the street so it's been a pleasure to be here so,
1: well, thank, you very, thank much. you very much and to my colleagues ed and chuck thank you as always uh to our listeners uh we'll Please be sure to to download this, subscribe to our channel. Uh, We just went over 9,000 downloads of our program, so uh, we hope to hit that 10,000 mark here before the year's out with any luck at all. And, uh, again, it's things like this. It's our good friends taking time from their day to help us, which uh, always means so much to us. So with that, I will uh, thank my colleagues, thank Steve, and say to each of you listening today, hey, be
3: be safe safe out out there. there.